Well, good morning. It is so good to see you all here and uh, have those of you who are uh, online that are joining us. So we're starting this new series that is uh, all about uh, God with. And <clears throat> to get at this, we're, we're doing kind of a little play on words that this thing between uh, God is or God is with. And, and all it is, is it's, it's just getting at these two ideas that, that there's different ways to look uh, and understand or think about God. And ultimately, I, th I think we need a both of these, but probably more often than not, there's a way we tend to think of God. And it starts with this idea of God is. And it's, and it's kind of thinking of God and that we've got a descriptor of who God uh, is. But it doesn't necessarily mean um, that we were understanding God from an engagement side or an experiential side. Um, so uh, I've got an illustration that, that kind of gets at this idea of understanding the, these two differences behind how we think about or describe God. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a description of something here, and you just think about what you think this is. So let me, let me just, I'm going to read um, some of the ingredients of what this is. And it says this, it has, um, what does it have? It has milk fat, which is, I don't know what milk fat is, but it has milk fat, um, um, lechen, which is that soy, I guess? I don't know. Um, it has natural flavors. That clears it all up, right? Okay. Um, but it also has sugar. Um, it has milk. Now this one will help you. It has cocoa butter. Anyone know what it is? Chocolate. It's chocolate. In fact, let me give you another way to describe it. Here, here's a different way to describe this same thing. It's a Hershey's Kiss. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a yum Hershey's Kiss, apparently, as well, right? Now, both are ways to describe this, and both are accurate, um, but they're different, aren't they? they? They have these two different perspectives. Let, let me give you, a, there's a, another way to think about this as well. Let me give you a, a different way to, to think about and describe this. I'm going to go ahead and just open this one up right now. And I'm going to take a bite of it. Mmm. It's very chocolatey. And it's smooth. And it tastes really good. I'm so sorry I don't have one for every one of you right now. <clears throat> but... Yeah, smooth and chocolatey and sweet. And now, that's another way to describe it from an actual experience, right? So there are these different ways of describing something. And it's not that like one isn't correct. It's just, it's a different perspective. And sometimes we come at trying to understand God from a, from a particular perspective and we don't always realize that we have the perspective that we have. And this whole series is about understanding that from a Western mindset, we, we tend to come at understanding spiritual things and God um, from a more empirical Western mindset. But that, that's good but there's this other mindset that is important to understand uh, because the Western mindset that we understand and come from really didn't even, even begin to really flourish in the way we understand it until like hundreds of years after the Bible was actually written. So there's so much about the Bible that is actually written with a different kind of lens and understanding that lens helps us understand it even as Westerners. And so uh, I, I want to just take a moment here and explain the two different lenses 
um, that I that we're going to kind of look at this whole series from in some ways because we really want you to have a fuller understanding of who God is and one that is about engagement or relationship. So let me let me talk about our Western uh, lens or view here. When you think about a Western lens or view way of thinking, when we think about spiritual things. Um, from a Western standpoint, when we think about like the nature of God or God, we always start with like proving the existence of God, right? There are tons of books out there that are making arguments and trying to understand how do we know, how do we prove um, uh, the existence of God? Like that's, but know this, um, it wasn't always that way. The way we are so wrapped up in that question for millennia, that wasn't something that bothered people too much. That's not where they were coming from. Um, we express truth with definitions and words. So like when we want to try and say something is true, we love definitions. We love a preciseness to the definition. Um, we love to use words. Specifically, we love to use prose. We love to have an explanation. We like bullet points and T-charts. And that's why I use the T-chart because I'm a Westerner and I love that. It's got a comparison thing going and everything, right? Because um, that's how we convey it. It has a kind of preciseness to it that we know and love and understand. There's like an empirical uh, side to this that is very precise. Um, we tend to focus on the nature of the being. So think about this question here for just a second, not just from a perspective of I'm a Christian who uh, believes in God, believes in Christ. Think of it as anybody uh, from the West thinking about God or spiritual things, we want to know what is this God like, right? That's the question that gets asked from a Western perspective. If you're going to tell me about this God, what is this God like? And we come up with definitions and stuff like he's omnipresent, right? He's omnipotent. He's just. He's like, we've got all those definitions. Now, that's us. This is wonderful. Lots of good things with this. But again, Keep in mind that the Bible was actually written from what I'm going to call an ancient Near East kind of mindset. And that is a different lens and a different mindset than what we think of uh, or how we naturally think. So, so a comparison to it, um, it assumes the existence of God. The Bible's written, uh, in fact, all of the Bible was written during a time from authors who thought more out of this perspective um, than anything close to what we think of. The original hearers uh, thought of this. So what you don't find in the Bible is uh, like a section that is dedicated to proving the existence of God. It just assumes that God exists. In fact, even Paul, when he's in Athens, when he's trying to lead people uh, to Christ, he, he's, he's in Athens, right? And the closest thing we would have uh, to this would be like the Greeks over in Athens. And he just starts off and he says, you already believe in this God. And they're like, what? And he goes, yeah, you've got a statue to the unknown God. See, this is the God I'm telling you about, the God you don't know about. And he just launches off as if they already have a belief in the existence of God. Um, this is really key for us to understand too. Expresses truth with stories and pictures, and I, and I should have put on here, and symbols. Symbolism is super important. So have you ever noticed when you're reading the Bible, it's not, it doesn't read like a textbook. Right? You don't go to the table of contents and it's like, oh, there's the section on dealing with temptation. There's the chapter on you know, how to raise your kids. Like, it's written 
like the vast majority of the Bible is written in the form of stories. And it is filled with pictures and symbolism that are conveying that truth. And it's not that definitions and bullet points and T-charts aren't correct. It's just, it's a different way of thinking. Um, And lastly here, and real important, um, that ancient Near East mindset focuses on the nature of the relationship. Not on trying to define what that other, what God is as a being, but going back um, even way before Christ's time, this was true. They wanted to know how God was going to relate to them. They cared a lot less about all, the, all of the things we think of, of the doctrinal statutes of who God is. They wanted to know, what does this God think of me? Right? And, and, and do I need to do something with this? It was very, very practical. And so their question was, how does this God relate to me? So two very different mindsets. And I think as Westerners, um, we need both because we are Westerners. And if we just try and understand God out of this, it's not going to translate in a, in a genuine way for us. But I also think this, when we're trying to understand uh, God and using scripture, we should start here because this is the mindset it was written out of. And then as we understand this, begin to understand how to apply it, right? So in some ways, this is God with, and this is God is. Make sense? So this morning, we want to look at this idea of God's goodness, right? We would say God is good. God is good, right? But I want us to go beyond just thinking of the attributes of like, okay, God's goodness. I want us to go and ask the question, what does that goodness mean for you and me? How do we relate to God uh, out of that? Because all of a sudden then it becomes really practical. It becomes meaningful uh, for us. And so we're going to be looking at a a passage in Psalms 103. There's a great passage that is written there, and you'll see this mindset out of it. Psalms 103. And as we go through this, I'm going to make all of the application this morning um, really tangible around some of the, uh, like, I'm going to ask you to engage in the symbolism and in a way of thinking that will help you engage with God relationally, right? So I'm going to just, I'm just giving you fair warning, all right? That I'm going to, like, I think it's good for us as Westerners uh, to try that out. So um, Psalm uh, 103, starting uh, in verse 1, you see this. So uh, David is writing this, and he says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. And the first thing you notice, this is like a form of ancient poetry, right? And it's conveying emotion and ideas. There's something relational, right? He doesn't say, and praise the Lord with all my brain, right? And all the things that I've memorized, right? That's great. But he's talking like his whole soul, right? It's invoking not just intellectual understanding, but an intellectual understanding and an emotional experience as well. And he goes on, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And he's going to go on and describe the goodness of God. These benefits are the goodness of God. And what I love about this is he isn't going to just explain the goodness of God as it just stands as something that we would honor, but it's a kind of goodness 
that impacts us. It's, he's going to help us understand how we relate uh, to this God. So um, there's, we're going to look at three different sections in this and draw some application out of uh, each of these. So verse 3. So um, here's, here's the first part I want to break down and look at here. So verse 3, it says this, who forgives all your sins, and then this right here begins a new stanza, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Now, as a Westerner, we might start off and go, okay, forgives all your sins. And we look at the word like all, right? And we think of it as an empirical measurement of something, right? If I were to say, what percent is all? What percent is all? Yeah, see, and, and, and we would all get an A on that quiz, right, in that moment, right? Because we're Westerners, right? You'd, all means all. Yeah, it doesn't mean half. We have a word for that. It's half. <laughs> see, we like to be precise. We mean what we say. But for an Easterner, whoops, excuse me, for an Easterner, it's like, okay, but there's, it's trying to convey something else in here. There's a picture that's being drawn in here. It's interesting um, probably the first thing that would stand out to an Easterner is this idea between sins and your uh, diseases. Uh, for them, these were connected, right? The idea that you were suffering from some disease or something meant that there was probably something going on in your soul that was sinful or something that God didn't like or there was something, you were being punished by God in some way. Those, like, he's painting this picture of how um, sin and disease go together in this moment. And in the Hebrew, the word all here can carry the idea of all of something, the way we would think of it, like 100%. But it also, right, because they, they didn't live for that kind of precision with that. They were trying to convey something meaningful. And so all could also communicate the idea of all of a kind of something which is probably a very much a part of this. So it's who forgives all kinds of your sins, all kinds of your diseases. Like there's lots, because they would have seen that there are different sins that are worse than other sins. There are different diseases that represent something far worse than something else. For instance, um, when you think about the New Testament in the time of Christ, what disease do you see in the New Testament that you would say that particular disease represents, from a spiritual standpoint, is like the worst. What would it be? Leprosy. That's exactly right. Yeah. To have leprosy, right, in that culture, boy, that was way worse. So here's what's happening with David. He's saying all, of the, all different kinds of sins, God forgives those. All, and then he ties it back. He's wrapping this all up so that it becomes deeper. It becomes practical for them. All kinds of diseases, yeah. God cares about that. God wants to heal that, right? Um, what it's not trying to do is make a promise here, right? It's not saying God will absolutely heal every disease you have. Like we want to make a formula out of it. And that's where we get in trouble in this. We, we can miss the deeper, richer meaning in what's happening with this. Years and years ago, uh, before I came on staff here, I was at a church and we had, um, there was a new couple that had started coming and someone came up to me and they were so excited that this couple was coming and just said they left church years ago and swore it off and just never come back ever again because they had this really painful experience with the church that they were at before. And I ended up getting in a conversation with this couple 
not long after they started coming. And what had happened, what this journey they had been on that had been so uh, painful, was um, their third child was a boy, and he was born with Down syndrome. And the church felt like, man, let, we're going to pray for your son, and he, God's, God's going to heal him. In other words, take away the Down syndrome. Or, and, and so they prayed and prayed. They actually had a special service, uh, like on a Wednesday night or something, where they prayed, and their son didn't change at all. And they prayed some more. And the husband said, but then something started to change with the church and the leaders, and it's like, it's like all their eyes were watching us in a different kind of way. And the conversations changed to like, so do you have enough faith? You need to pray with more faith. Like, like there's something about you, mom and dad, that is keeping your child from being healed. And then it turned to, and after their son still was suffering with Down syndrome, it became, well, what if there's sin in your life? Maybe it's sin you don't know about. You need to... And I remember uh, the mom saying, it's like church just became so unsafe. And it started to feel really hard to think of God as caring about me and caring about my son and my family. And the dad said, I just started becoming really angry. And, and, like, and it wasn't okay to be angry, not, like, especially not with God, but I was struggling with this kind. And it just became easier to just try and step away from church and push all of that off. But what started to change it for them, and this is the beautiful part of this story, is, you know, everything was centered on their son who had Down syndrome, and somehow that wasn't okay, and that was bad. And they said, you know what? What God did through him is what, like, pulled us in a new direction. And I remember the dad saying, I could have the worst day ever. I could have a day that was so bad. I could walk into the house and my son, no matter what went on, was happy and giggly. And next thing I know, like I'm laughing and having good. He like, it would like the joy that just came from him constantly, the happiness and the goodness, like it just, it filled our family with this. And then one day we realized God was always there. And what God was doing was bringing joy and happiness and his goodness into our family through our son. And it's just like changed our whole perspective. And so literally said, and we're trying to make our way back to church now. And see, do you see what happened there? And it was just a change of perspective. It, it was starting to see not God as this thing and, and because God is this way, right? It means here's my formula in this. And I would imagine there's some of you that maybe there's something you're going through and you just feel like, man, does this mean that God doesn't love me? Does this mean God doesn't care about me in this way? And what the psalmist is saying is, you want to know the goodness of God? Yes, God is a good God. He is really good. But let me tell you how he relates to you. There's no kind of sin in your life that will keep him from still wanting to do good things in your life. There's, just because there's some illness, there's some struggle that you have in your life, like, God's on it. I mean, God may not solve it the way we would want, but that doesn't mean that you can't 
you can't approach God with vulnerability because that's what was happening with this couple. It was like they were putting up the protective wall. The psalmist is inviting us to be vulnerable with God because his goodness is healing. You think about the words forgives in healings, uh, healing. Those are very caring words. And so here's the point out of this. God, like God cares for you in ways you cannot possibly fathom. That's his goodness in your life. So here's the application. Here's the application. And on this one, I want you to think about this as you pray about something. And maybe specifically, maybe there's that thing you're struggling with. Um, um, when you go to pray about it, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you two physical things to do because there's symbolism in this. And I want you to experience the symbolism and how it might change how you experience God in a mental or emotional way. So here's the first one. If you've never prayed um, with your hands open, like palms up and open, try this sometime. There's something about this. It's just, and again, it's just symbolic. But when we think about hands open like this, what does that symbolize? Like openness, vulnerability. Like, God, I'm bringing this to you. And I know it, like, it doesn't change anything with God, right? God, God will still hear your prayers even if you do this, even if you do this, right? But experience what it's like, right? Because this would be a very Eastern or a near Eastern way of doing this. It's just like, okay, God, I come before you. Open, open hands, open arms, right? Try praying that way. Let me give you one more. This one will push your comfort level uh, just a little bit more. Um, I even tried it this week, <clears throat> and it was a little strange for me. I'll have to just be real honest for you, but I think it was good. So have you ever uh, seen video or watched like an ascetic Jew praying like at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem or something? And have you noticed like uh, they'll be doing this? They'll like be rocking? So what's going on there is uh, that's being done with great intentionality. And there's different rabbis over the centuries that have talked about the different symbolism or meaning in that. And there's a lot of different things. But there's one in particular that, that has really stuck with me. Um, this idea of rocking back and forth. Have you ever watched the flame on a candle rock back and forth? So this one rabbi, and I forgot how many centuries ago, uh, talks about it and relates it to that. And, and it's the idea of how a candle flickers especially when you first light it. And so the idea is you begin praying, you begin bringing something to God and you begin doing this. And it's the idea of there's a, there's a flame that is starting to flicker inside of you. And it's God's flame that he's igniting something in you. He's doing something new. He is at work. Why? Because of his goodness, because he cares about you in all of this. Now, as I said before, I tried it. I, I actually prayed about some things, and I did this, and I was just like, okay, God, this still feels strange to me, okay? Um, but you know what I did get out? I'll say this. The idea of thinking of that candle flickering, it actually drew my attention back to, and God, even when I don't know it, you're at work in me. There's something you're doing, and I'm going to trust that because you care about me. So try praying in one of those ways and just getting back to that relational engagement with God because that's what the psalmist is, is trying to do here in all of this. Okay, let me give you the next one uh, here. Uh, look at uh, verse 4, verse 4 in this. Um, it says this. 
um, speaking of God, who redeems your life from the pit, and then the next stanza is, and crowns you with love and compassion. So the two lines in this, who redeems your life from the pit. Remember, uh, that ancient Near East mindset, always painting pictures. And when you think about a pit, when you're down in a pit, you're surrounded by what? What surrounds you? Dirt, rocks, right? Yeah, that's because you're down in a pit, right? But then this, in, in Hebrew, this word crown, some of you, the, your translation in the Bible may say surrounds, um, surrounds you with love and compassion. It's because a crown, the circular idea of the crown is surrounding something. So oftentimes uh, the word for crown and surround like use the same Hebrew word. Um, and so it goes from this, how God redeems you out of the pit where you're surrounded by you know, earth and rocks to where you are crowned by God and you are now surrounded by love and compassion. And the thing here is, in both cases, you're surrounded. But here's the difference. When you're surrounded in a pit, you're trapped. When you're surrounded by the love and compassion of God, you're being embraced. It's a very relational thing. What, this, what David is communicating is this idea of you're embraced by God. God, like, you're getting a hug from God, essentially, is, is what it's getting at here. And it is his love and compassion that embraces you, hugs you, right? This is relational in this. Um, so uh, it's been uh, quite a while, but I was at a coffee shop uh, down off of near 4th Avenue, very non-franchise kind of coffee shop, right? Kind of like one of those coffee shops, a little grungy, little, you know, but sometimes that's where like the creative juices start flowing. And so I was down in this coffee shop one time and there was a bunch of people in there and they were uh, studying or working or whatever. And uh, like three tables over, there was one guy that was visibly distressed about something. And it seemed like there was something that came through on an email or maybe a text or something on his phone or computer. And he like, and it was bothering. You could like, you could physically see that something bothered him. And I didn't think anything of it. And then a few minutes later, he stands up and says to everyone in the coffee shop, I bet there was 20 of us in there. So he stands up and he goes, <clears throat> I need a hug. True story. I was like, well, never seen that before. <laughs> it's just like, <clears throat> wow, it's just, I didn't know what to do. I just like, and he waited like, I need a hug. And I look around and I'm like, oh, everyone else is like, I've already made eye contact. Like, and I'm just like, oh man, right? And I'm just like, this doesn't feel comfortable at all, right? I'm a Westerner. We don't do what's going on here in this moment, right? And he's standing there and I'm looking at him. And then, you know, I'm just like, no, don't do it, Glenn. What's that? You know, just, and then, you know, like, you, have you, have you ever had like what you think of as like one of those gentle nudges from God, right? And it's just like, boom, you know, get over there, Glenn. You're a pastor, right? And it's just like, I didn't know what to do in that moment. Other than I got up, did not say a word. I just got up, left my computer right there. I walked around. I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Yeah, yeah. Went up to hug him and gave him a hug right in the middle of the coffee shop. And at first I'm expecting like, okay, like just, you know, like he grabbed a hold of me and did not let go. And I'm like, wow. And 
uh, had some tears. Like it, this was a, something, and I still to this day don't know what happened. Something happened. And, and just to be real honest, I, like I, I wasn't completely spiritual through the whole thing. I, then I was like, I'm being punked. Like, you know, Ryan Kramer's got a camera set up someplace, <laughs> right? Yeah, and then I was like, no, but I bet this guy has a partner and he's taking my computer, my phone, my brief. I'll be lucky to have my coffee by the time I get back, right? Um, but no, no, it, like my computer, it was all there, no cameras. He just needed a hug in that moment. What's really interesting is like a month or two later, it's back in that coffee shop, and I had never seen him before that one day where I gave him the hug, and a month or two later, he walks back in and sees me and immediately recognizes me. I'm like, okay. And he, he I didn't know what was going to happen, but it was really sweet. He just like mouthed or just barely whispered the words, thank you so much, and just went and sat down. And I still remember that. And it's like there was something so powerful about just even getting a hug from a stranger. It made me go and do a little research on hugs, actually. And it's interesting from a medical perspective, uh, just a hug, it, uh, re- it, it like releases um, hormones into our brain and our body, uh, like oxytocin, that actually, from an emotional standpoint, help us um, find hope in desperate situations. Um, brightens our mood. It even uh, helps us to feel a connection with other people. And as I just studied a little, I was like, well, no wonder. Because when you think about it, like to give someone a hug, think about what, and this is really common for us, when we are leaving or even greeting someone we know that we like, if it's close friends or whatever, oftentimes, right, we part ways with a hug. We've been, Angie and I have been in this small group for decades now. And it doesn't matter if we're going to get together the next day or a week or a month. It's like there's this, we give, everyone's got to give everyone a hug before we leave. It takes 20 minutes to get out the door when we're done with our small group. Because we, because, but there's this thing. And, and when you think about it, it's to hug someone, like you approach them with open arms. Like there's this openness, there's this vulnerability. You invite them, right, to do the same thing to open their arms to be vulnerable. There's something about when you embrace someone, give them a hug, it's like there's nothing in between us right now. There's, there's no, there, you, I value you. There's nothing in between us. And there's also this sense, if you notice this, like, and I'm with you. Even though we're getting ready to leave and go someplace else, it's like I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. There's a part of me that goes with you in this thing. And God is saying, I'm with you. In fact, it is my love and my compassion that embraces you. See, God is with you, friends. He's embracing you. So now, on the application on this, you're like, okay, how do I, like, how do you get a hug from God, right? <laughs> right? And I started thinking about this, and I thought, you know, there's actually something to this. So, I'm gonna, so here's the application on this. Um, in Isaiah 40, uh, there's this moment where God literally says to Isaiah and, and to the people, he says, I want you to look up into the heavens. I want you to look up into the heavens and see all the stars. He says this, I believe it's Isaiah 40. I want you to look up and see all the stars. And that got me to thinking 
about other places where it talks about how to think about the stars and stuff. And uh, there is a great passage uh, found in uh, Psalms that I want us to look at here that speaks to this, because this will get to our application uh, this morning. Uh, so this is found in Psalms 136. And look at what it says. To him who made the great lights, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Notice that the stars, the sun and the moon and the stars, including all the great lights, are connected. And remember, symbolism, pictures. God's loving kindness, his everlasting loving kindness, is seen somehow in the stars, in the sun and the moon. And he goes on and he says, the sun to rule by day for his loving kindness is everlasting. It's just always there. We get to see, he goes on, <clears throat> the moon and the stars to rule by the night for his loving kindness is everlasting. Have you ever thought about this? You know what surrounds us? All of those stars, right? There's not a night that you go out, there's not a day, we may not be able to see them, but they're there, aren't they? And as they move right through the night sky, they're like, wherever we are, they crown us, they encircle us. I got to thinking about that, like we are embraced, we are embraced by billions of stars, more than we can count. And they're always there. So here's your application. Sometime this week, either get up, because I know the days are long right now, so either get up like really early or some night before you go to bed and it's dark out, take a moment, especially if there's something where you're like, God, I, I want to feel the, your closeness. When you look at those stars and you see them and you realize they're like, I'm surrounded by them, that is the loving kindness of God that you're surrounded by, that you're embraced by. And just take that experience in. Take it in at a relational level that you are embraced by God, okay? Okay, one more thing out of the, out of the 103, uh, Psalms 103 uh, passage that I wanna uh, look at uh, here. Um, look at uh, verse five, verse five in this. He says this, who satisfies your desires with good things so that, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So again, uh, we look at this maybe from a Western standpoint and we go, who satisfies your desire? Like it should be and who satisfies God's desires, right? right? We're not supposed to like our desires. Aren't our desires bad? Or like it's just, and this again, this passage is not trying to say all of your desires and all of my desires are good, um, but they're not all bad either. And what you begin to just see here is God is a God who doesn't just care about you, but he cares about your desires. He cares about what you care about. That's relational. If, right? if you're in a relationship and you realize, you know, this relationship is a one-way street. The, this other person only cares about what they care about. They want me to care about what they care about, but they don't want to care about what I care about, we'd go, that's a dysfunctional relationship, wouldn't we? There's something that bonds us when we realize that in, in as much as I care about your cares, 
you care about my cares, we're drawn to that person. And what David is writing is, okay, there's so many things that God is pulling you in that he wants you to care about, that he, that he wants you to see about him and what he's doing. But don't forget, he is a God who cares about your desires. Because that's how he created you. That, that you matter to him. That he wants you to experience his goodness is something that, that is caring about your desires. That he is doing, he's that... He's that flame that is doing something in your life that isn't just about the things that he wants. God, like God is interested in you and, and what's going on in your life in all of this. And if we can begin to see that like God, God is it, he's really opening himself up to a relationship with us. It'll change how you pray. It changes how you see him. It changes how you see the world. It changes how you see scripture in a beautiful, beautiful way. So here's the application on this one. Um, and the application on this one isn't for later tonight or tomorrow or the next time. We're gonna do the application here this morning right when we leave. So um, I'm gonna just say this. If you're a guest here this morning, it has been so good having you here. I hope that you that it, this meant the world to you, and I hope you enjoy this next part and that you participate in it, okay? So um, I'm going to close this out in a second here, but here's what we're going to do. Um, in order to actually taste and know, like I want you to live out this illustration of not just knowing about who God is, but experience how God is with you. What a great illustration it would be if we all had a Hershey's kiss this morning that we could just eat. And, and here's what I want you to do with this, right? As you eat that Hershey's kiss and you think about like, right? You're not going to think about the ingredients, right? You're going to think about how it tastes, how you experience it. And the goodness of that, God wants you to experience. I want you to think about how God wants you to experience the goodness and beauty of who he is in your life. So I know this is a tough assignment, right? To get it out, right? All right, why don't you stand? And I'm gonna close this with a blessing and we're gonna have some wonderful, friendly people at all the doors with Hershey's Kisses and you, uh, you get your Hershey's Kiss on the way out. Let me, let me bless us and we'll be dismissed. God, I just ask that your face shine upon everybody in here and that your goodness would just um, be poured into their lives with richness and beauty and wonder. Amen. Have a great morning. We'll see you next Sunday.